Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It is another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast and I have great pleasure in welcoming to the podcast, Jake Lintot. Jake, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad. Um, enjoying some some time off at the moment. So yeah, just um, haven't got a lot on. So it's quite nice to be able to talk to you this morning. And it's been, I mean, it's been a, a bonkers year for you, hasn't it? You've come from, I mean, th- there's a kind of narrative and I was watching you playing on Sky once and the kind of commentators were talking about you. It's almost the, the narrative that people have liked to have done is that you've just been picked out of a classroom taken into cricket and it's just happened overnight but that's far from the truth is it really yeah no it's it's obviously that's the that's the picture that's been painted a little bit I guess but it's um been years of sort of grafting and trying to create opportunities for myself really and develop my own game by myself so yeah it sort of feels like reward for a lot of hard work that I've put in over over countless trials and years and with different clubs so um yeah it's pretty I'm pretty proud of the, the year I've had but it's sort of for me it's an exciting time now to just build on that and try and keep moving forward I've opened this up for some questions from the Cricket Badger followers uh, and I'll bring those in as we go through I tend to on these um one-on-one interviews do a 20 questions but because you've only just really arrived on the scene I've kind of adapted those a little bit for your interview and, and use some of the uh the listeners um, podcast, but Ted's asked, did you ever feel like giving up on the dream? I mean, you were 27 when you signed your first pro deal with Warwickshire. Were, were there ever any days where you thought, well, that's, that's gone past me now. I'm, this, is, this isn't going to happen. Well, I'd say there are a number of times where that thought sort of comes in and it's normally just after sort of rejection, I guess. And I had quite a, quite a lot of that. I, at sort of 19, I was told by Somerset I wasn't good enough and that was fine, Like, it, but it still hurts. Um, I, I was fully aware that I wasn't good enough at that point, um, but it's still, you know, it's not nice having sort of 
grown up through the age groups and onto the academy and then to be told you know you're not going to play for Somerset is, is tough so that was um that was the first one and then um I played for Hampshire and did did well with their second team and again just wasn't in a position to take up a full-time role there due to the amount of spinners they had so that hurt and then Gloucestershire was probably the hardest I got hit I'd say after having done really well in 2000 and I think it was 18 I sort of did really well within the first team and then in Red Bull cricket in the second team. And yeah, basically didn't get anything off the back of that, which was probably the hardest the hardest time I got hit, really. And that took me sort of three or four months to really process that and, and go again, really. And, and that sort of led, performances for Gloucester led to the trial at Warwickshire and, and haven't really looked back since then. It took me quite a while to break in at Warwickshire, sort of 18 months, but got there in the end. And yeah, I guess... Coming back to your, your question, it's I've always had that desire to play professional cricket. I love playing cricket. It's what I've always wanted to do. So ultimately, you're going to have setbacks, but it's sort of how you come back from those. And I was pretty determined to come back for them. And I knew that I was good enough. I backed my ability and, and that sort of shone through, I guess, and creating opportunities for myself. So, so as a teenager coming, growing up and everything, cricket was always the dream, was it? Was, there, was that always what you wanted to do? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's always been always my dream. And then I got into my coaching around the age of sort of twenty one, twenty two, whether that be privately or for a number of different companies. And um, and then I took up the role at Queens um, as a sports graduate, just coaching all sport really, and and ended up um, progressing into the role of head of cricket. And and coaching was still very much a passion of mine, and something I'm going to continue to do. Um, but obviously, I'll be trying to fully invest in my cricket for for the time being and and do some coaching alongside it. And that's Queen's College in Taunton, isn't it? Where you were a student as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was a student there. I had some time away from the school and then um, sort of once I felt, I actually joined the school when I felt like my cricket was sort of coming to an end a little bit and it was time to focus on like a different career path. Um, but then luckily sort of that job allowed me a platform to work at my game, but also go away and they gave me lots of flexibility to trial still. So um, yeah, without them, I wouldn't probably be here now, really. So they, they've been a huge part of my sort of future in terms of both at school, but also from a career perspective, they helped me massively with my coaching. And, and also, it, it, you know, they gave me a lot of flexibility to allow me to sort of miss three, four days of school to go and play, which doesn't happen very often, to be honest. So you weren't just bunking off, you weren't just playing truant? No, not at all. No, they were really supportive. They wanted me to be playing and they, they realised the benefit it has on the school, having having someone playing professional cricket. But at the time I wasn't, so I was only trialling, so it was a bit of a risk for them. But they, they were really supportive, which is great. Obviously, knowing you were coming on the podcast, I was looking around on Twitter and uh, on Google and saw a little video you'd done of to your students when lockdown started and they were all at home and you were obviously coaching cricket virtually, basically, weren't you? You were doing some warm-up drills and some coaching exercises that they could look at at home so and that's not that far that's not that long ago is it no I mean that's sort of I reckon yeah 15 16 months ago now so it's it's not that long ago really it's quite crazy that to think that I was furloughed and, and just sort of stuck doing nothing really lockdown was quite a productive time for me to be honest I, I was gonna I was gonna ask that because yeah. it, I mean obviously the pandemic is horrible but so not to minimize that but there are some people who have benefited from the kind of time off and the ability to refocus and you seem to be one of those kind of guys yeah 100 percent. I think I, I struggled with the, the there's no question working six days a week sort of 10 12 hour days um in the private sector of education can be 
really tough and it's long hours but obviously there are certain privileges that come with that we get longer holidays and um we get you know we get great facilities and those sorts of things but that was really hard and I found that hard to juggle sort of work life balance didn't really find much time for myself I was working within a boarding house as well which can swallow you up a little bit so um yeah found that really hard and when I got furloughed I just had this massive opportunity to invest in myself really and and I've always been aware that like fitness has been has been something that I can improve um and I got massively into my running I lost sort of 18 to 20 kilos in weight um and that yeah that sort of I think played quite a key part in me securing that first T20 deal with Warwickshire because I was in such a good state coming out of lockdown in July um ahead of the tournament in August I was in good place and yeah I think that stood me in real good stead the other thing I noticed was that you had hair then yeah. And obviously, during your period as a pro cricketer in the last year, you've not had hair. Is that, do you reckon that's made a difference, the fact that you're more streamlined? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but it was, again, lockdown, I, um, I haven't got much left anyway, so it, was, it had to go at some point. Um, but in lockdown, obviously, all the, all the hairdressers were shut, so um, my stepmom just whipped it off, and um, yeah, I was like, oh, not too bad, so I stuck with it. And yeah, it's much easier now, less complicated. So um, yeah, no complaints from me about the lack of hair. Question from Craig on Twitter. It's been a mad year uh, with so much happening to you so quickly. Did you get starstruck meeting any of the superstars you've played with? And of all the players you've played with, who's been the hardest to get out? I wouldn't say starstruck, no. I think um, having sort of, well, I'm 27 now. I think had I been an 18-year-old, that'd be quite different. You sort of idolise those guys. But um, I think coming in at 28, I've understood, I understand the benefits of playing with these guys and I try and tap into them as much as possible, both from like a social set, uh, situations, getting involved with them, but also just from a cricket perspective, tapping into their knowledge and, and trying to learn from them that way. What's um, What's been so nice is how I haven't really come across anyone who has has been difficult or hasn't hasn't wanted to help so that's really nice nice feeling to have and I guess I'm privileged to be a part of or have been a part of some really good squads in the last year so um yeah all the Warwickshire lads have been really supportive and then equally at the Southern Brave like they're just incredible group of lads and that sort of I think was a key part to our success um and then yeah my my favorite probably wicket I guess was when I got but sounds bad, but when I got mowing both times, really, the first one, when I got him first ball, and that was that was a special feeling because I knew he was a pretty key player. And then in the final, felt like that wicket was the only wicket we needed, really. And once we got that, we were going to win the game. So, yeah, those two moments, I guess, bowling at those guys. But it's just incredible for me to be in this position where even like talking about getting players like that out and bowling at players like that is... Um, I've always believed I'm good enough to do it, but actually, like, when you look at it, it's just, yeah, immense pride to be in that position now. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com 
quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. I always quite like the guys that come into cricket late and have experienced the real world to some extent because a lot of I mean I've worked in cricket I worked at Yorkshire and players come through the academy come on to as junior pros they're looked after very well and that's all they know so they come from school into cricket and they never kind of touch the real world outside of cricket whereas you've done that haven't you so you kind of had a taste of reality really yeah for sure I think that's something that I've noticed just from what I've only I haven't trained full time ever, so this I've just started my first full time contract now. So I've been dipping in and out of of training, sort of training once a week, twice a week, um, which again is credit to Warwickshire. They've been really flexible with that and supportive to allow me to do both jobs. But the the, the guys they won't mind me saying this, but they don't re- they don't quite realise how privileged they are. Really, they, they they they're in a position where they've had that their whole life, and I've had I've come in and I've been working you know, long, long days and lots of emails and, and all that side side of things. And yeah, it's a pretty good way of life, really. Train sort of three, four hours a day. Um, you're doing something that, you know, you always dreamed of doing as a kid and you're providing entertainment for thousands of people, which, you know, is, is pretty cool. So it's a great way of life and <clears throat> I'm pretty grounded when it comes to it and grateful for the position I'm in, I guess, because I've, yeah, like you say, I've got that experience of uh, working a full-time gig and and um, yeah that certainly certainly is much harder work in terms of um, in terms of workloads and, and stress and that sort of thing and I guess I mean hopefully it's not for a while yet but I guess when it comes to the end of your pro cricket career you have a little bit more perspective when it comes to retirement as well because a lot of the cricketers find it quite I mean a lot of sportsmen in general find it very difficult to retire from the game because it's the fear of the unknown whereas you know it don't you yeah I think that's that's true and I think it's important. We're really lucky that we're supported by the PCA and the PCA do an amazing job um, supporting all players up and down the country, really, and preparing for life after cricket because it could happen at any point, really. Like not being like I've only got, I've got two years left on my contract. If I was to have a horrible two years, then you just never know. That's the how, that's how the game works. So mm. it's just preparing for that afterwards. And yeah, I'll be still dipping my toes into coaching and trying to, trying to keep, keep that sort of, um, side of side of me going because I'm really passionate about it but also I'm fully understanding of the fact that these careers don't last forever and I've probably at the at the max got 10 years so it's um <clears throat> about preparing for that afterwards I, I take it from what you've just said that the gig at Queen's College Taunton is that now behind you or you have to give them that up now yeah so it was it was it's just time for me I feel to fully invest in my cricket and and see where I can really take it. The exciting thing is I've got to hear now with training once or twice a week. So everything I've done has been been off my own back or or fitting around a full time job. So it's quite nice now. I've had we've we've got sort of we've had four to six weeks off now, um, and you know I can go to the gym twice a day. I can I can do that type of thing just to keep things ticking. Whereas before. It was always like if I had to train, it would be sort of 6 a.m. before I start work or in the evening. So it's nice to have that time to invest invest in my game. And I'm excited to see where I can take it, really. it's um, Yeah, it's, it's a great time. And does that mean you're moving to Birmingham? Are you have to move house? Yeah, so I've, I've got a place. I live in, live in Wellington in Somerset. Um, and I looked, I'm looking to rent up in Birmingham until I've, until I've got enough money to buy somewhere. Um, 
so yeah just sort of saving up at the moment and and just going to rent for now and and looking forward to getting up to Birmingham and spending a bit more time with the lads because I've not actually spent huge amounts of time with them because I've obviously been down here toing and throwing so it's been hard to fully invest in 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 Warwickshire and uh, yeah that would be really exciting for me to just sort of be around the lads a bit more and get stuck into Birmingham life. I've spent a bit of time with Graham Welch in the past um, and Pop's a great guy and I understand from uh, reading up about how you came into Warwickshire and he worked with you a lot during lockdown he kind of did the virtual kind of coaching with you in the same way you were doing it with your own students and seems to have been quite pivotal in your move into the pro world. Yeah I think ever since I ever since I started training at Warwickshire he's probably been the one guy who you know has backed me to the hilt really he's He's been adamant that I should I should have been signed straight away, and he was very sort of supportive of of me both on and off the field. And yeah, so he's been a huge part of my journey, really. And and then obviously we work closely. We probably touch base, you know, weekly about things and and just keeping things going. But he's he's very good at making you believe that you're good enough, and he's very supportive. And um, yeah, without him, probably wouldn't be where I am now. So really grateful for that and I had a great time with him down in the 100 obviously he's working with Southern Brave as well so I've spent a lot of time with Pop and really appreciative for what he's done he's he's done a fantastic job and he's been really good for me yeah I guess I mean that that what you just said there about making you believe that's the one of the big skills of a coach isn't it that doesn't come naturally to everybody and you know from your teaching perspective you can probably see that that you've got to take what you've got in front of you and make them think they're even better yeah for sure he his uh, style of coaching, you know, he's not he's not too technical. He, he, we dip in and out of technical side because there's always things you can look to work on. But um, his ethos is very much about you know making people um, express themselves and believe that they can they can dominate games and, and win games of cricket. So he's definitely made me believe that, and you know, it's he, it's proved pretty right so far. So yeah, he's been he's been awesome for me, and yeah, that does transfer into coaching. I think coaches generally get very wrapped up in technical side of the game but in reality I find cricket is like 90% where your head's at and and how you you feel about that side of things and if uh if your coach if you can develop good relationships with your coach and they can make you feel good about yourself and they can you know they you sort of trust that process then and and I think that helps you perform um I'm not a huge believer in getting obsessed with technical side of things because I'm 28 like ultimately I'm here because I've um you know, I've got the ability. It's just then how how we then transfer that into top top level sport, which um, you know has gone all right so far. Next question is from Ambition Sport, which sounds like a business, but it's a good question, so we'll give them a plug. Um, what's been Jake's biggest pinch me? I must be dreaming moment. Um, what a year he's had. It's clear he loves the game as much as any of us. And then a round of applause for you as well. But what's been your biggest pinch me moment in the last twelve months? I think. When I there's two, there's two definitely. When I signed my when I signed my three year contract with Warwickshire, that was like literally waited my whole life for that moment to sort of get that security and and be in a position where you know I've wanted to be ever since I started um, was special. And you sort of get you sort is that of, the only pen you ever use now? The one you signed that contract? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You you just. Um, you get that phone. You get that phone call, and everything's sort of finalised in terms of the the contract, and it's it it just hits you then. It's like oh, that's that's amazing. Like that's what I've always wanted, and um, yeah, that was a special. I remember the drive up to Birmingham. It's quite you know, it sounds stupid, but the drive up to sign it is is pretty exciting. So that was that was special for me. And then I think 
to sort of round off like the whole year it was it was just w- walking out to field at Lords in that final. I I sort of I was I remember standing at third man and just before the countdown to the start of the innings and sort of looking around thinking this is mad like Lords is sold out playing in a final we've just posted like a massive score um, knew we were a huge chance but yeah to sort of play in front of 24,000 people but also you know that tournament was played globally and the amount of support I've had like from friends in Australia where I played there or you know friends all around the world really so it was yeah that was a real pinch myself moment as well um, both those moments are pretty special and rank pretty high up there and, and the kids that you used to coach at school and the ones that you you taught I imagine as a, as a school kid you kind of watch your teacher go off and become a professional sportsman that's that's quite a big deal isn't it they must be quite excited yeah they, they go one or two ways really you get some kids who get shy and they'd rather dish out some banter to you and and sort of like <laughs> give it to you because you know you're on the telly or you like make a mistake and that's the first thing they highlight um, you get those type of kids, which is fine. Like, I don't mind kids dishing it out. That's all good. Um, and then you get the other type, you know, who are just, you know, engrossed in it and, and really just sort of blown away by it and sort of try and tap into it. Um, so, yeah, it's been nice. I've popped into school a couple of times and seen them and everyone's been, you know, great, really pleased to see me. And um, I think it's good for the kids at Queen's because it sort of gives them an understanding that, the school there's often I think in private schools we have this perception that you need to be at the best schools or you need to be at these top top end cricket schools or wherever to make it as a professional cricketer and the reality is you don't um the the reality is you need good people around you You, you're you're at a you're at a private school you're already in a privileged position and you've got massive opportunities to get better um so I think it was a it was sort of a it hits home for a lot of those kids that actually you know well if if Mr Lintot's playing professional cricket then why can't I achieve that? So I think that's quite a good thing for them to sort of learn from. And, and I guess it gives them that part, clear pathway that they can can do that and achieve the same things. In 10 years time, whenever it is, when you when you finally put down the, uh, the, the cricket ball, would it be going back into education? Is that how you see yourself? Or do you see yourself um, doing something completely different? don't know really things change quite quickly don't they um yeah. <laughs> the, as as we were all know the last year has been pretty pretty crazy so I'm a, I'm a very open guy like I like to keep developing and explore other things um but I am uh, you know I'm extremely passionate about my coaching I'd like to go into professional coaching at some point um I've only sort of, by the end of my career I've only spent sort of 10 11 years in the professional game and feel like I've got a pretty yeah, pretty good amount to give back as well. So yeah, I, I want to continue my coaching, but who knows? You just don't know what might come up. But that's something that I'm really passionate about and want to, you know, want to keep going with. You are listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. You were a wild card pick for the hundreds, um, coached by Mahela Joe Wardner. I spent a little bit of time with Mahela two, two or three days in um, in the UAE a few years ago. And he's about as level-headed and as passionate about cricket as you could possibly get, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's some guy to have in your corner. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, yeah, he was very supportive of me. Um, the thing is, I'm very new to it. So, you know, he had to help me with a lot, quite a lot of things in terms of game management and and just being a bit smarter because obviously the 100 is the highest level of of T20 cricket, really, that white ball cricket in England in terms of the quality of players you're playing against. So I did find that level up like a bit of a challenge in terms of 
you just can't miss and you've got to be real smart and have real clear plans. So he's very methodical and, you know, he's very thorough in his planning. And that was really clear from me. Like on a match day, we'd sort of have bowlers meeting, individual meetings, team meetings. It would be quite, you know, quite intense, which, you know, some people find tough. But for someone like me, I think it's... um you know, it's it's massive and it, it really helped me. So he was really good in that regard. But also he just brings a calmness. He um he's someone who's achieved, you know, some serious accolades within the game. He's probably one of the best players to ever play it. So he brings a calmness because everyone believes in what he's saying. And I remember two games into the tournament, we we'd lost two. Um and we were sat in the dressing room and he just said, like, guys, you you'll win this, like look around, etc. And everyone sort of trying to believe it <laughs> because it's none from two but he genuinely believed in us and and that's something that will stand with me for a while he yeah he was brilliant to work with I, I remember when I met him it was in a hotel lobby and uh, so sort of softly spoken and quiet and stuff you would you wouldn't imagine there were thousands and thousands and thousands of international runs behind this guy he's just uh, really just a, a really nice bloke um there's a question here which kind of maybe just illustrates my thoughts on the 100 jake and i'm yeah. not going to be a hypocrite here and just kind of sit here and say i think the 100 is amazing it's basically says um, i hope you're going to ask jake um, about um, about what your opinions on the hundred are. So just to explain that, when the hundred came into being or, or started being muted, I, I set up a group called Oppose the Hundred um, yeah. because of the, of the potential damage it might do to county cricket, the eighteen counties, and yeah. if the emphasis goes on the um, on the franchise stuff, it by virtue of that, for me, maybe takes the um, spotlight off the eighteen counties. And, and I, I've never ever been against a player playing in it because you look after yourselves as players and you try and make the money and the standard of the cricket actually I thought was quite decent in the 100 so there's no um, qualms on that I, I just I'm concerned about the effect on the on the wider game can, can you recognise that? Yeah I can I can see where people are coming from with that the one thing I would say is there's definitely no there's been no drop off in terms of desire and quality of the T20 Blast so that, that tom- competition is still going to be as strong and and you'll actually find I think that it will be even stronger because what's going to happen is overseas players are going to end up playing T20 cricket and then play the 100 so they'll come in one block and they'll play two competitions and and what you might find there is that the best player I, I think to be honest with you overseas signings within county cricket and T20 cricket I don't think are that strong you don't see you don't see the best in the world coming and I think you're going to start seeing that now so I actually think that T20 blast comp is going to strengthen um, in terms of, you know, um, that block is going to be real good for overseas players. That's the biggest issue it's been before is the disjointedness of the schedule. And like this ludicrous thing of having finals in September, like it just makes no sense at all. So I think that's a really good move. I also think that if this structure was in place five years, no, maybe six years ago, I'd have played county cricket from the age of 22. Okay. Um, because I would have played 50 over cricket. That's a fact. So it's a really good way in for players on the outside. And I fully understand the, the argument around the, the 50 over competition being being lesser, lesser of a format. And I think that will change. I think they are looking at trying to bring that into a separate block away from everything else. Um, but there will be a trade-off for that. that. You know, there's probably going to be less championship cricket. There's probably going to be a smaller T20 blast, etc. But I, I think they are trying to do everything they can to make it as good a format as possible for everyone. But what what county supporters have to understand is how much money that 100 competition is going to bring to English cricket. I can see it in sort of two, three years' time being, 
you know, as big as the IPL, I, I genuinely believe it. it the, fit, the buzz around it was massive and I think it will bring huge amounts of money into county cricket, which I think is a, is a good thing. Um, but it's then just that balance between making sure that the county game is still getting looked after as, as much and, and they are getting the rewards for produ- they're still developing these players and producing these players to play in this 100 competition. So it's really important they do get rewarded, which I'm sure sure they will. But I understand the concerns around it and there are a number of issues with it at the moment. It's still not perfect. I just want Red Bull County Cricket to be preserved as well because yeah, yeah you, you, can't, you can't watch England lose a test match and complain about... Um, the standard of an England cricket team without actually going back to the county championship. And you, you need a strong county championship to support a strong England. I've got no issue with the white ball. I'm a massive IPL fan, and that's going to be my next question to you because obviously you as a, as a yeah, at the moment, predominantly white ball player, Barbados Royals came calling and you went to the CPL. Uh, and I imagine that was, a, that was a terrific experience. But have you got uh, plans to maybe mention, enter the mega auction for the IPL and, and to try and spread your wings a bit further afield around the rest of the globe? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's just, you know, I've got to try and focus on me and keep performing. And I, although people might not think it, I am extremely passionate about Red Bull cricket as well. And that's something that I want to play. I, but the the reality is in England, it's, very hard as a wrist spinner to play Red Bull cricket. It's the 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 structure, like you say, the the format is, is played in April, September, and the reality is that it is hard for me to do that. But I'm really keen to work at my batting and try and get myself in the team as sort of a number eight um, who can bowl and add, add in that sense because I feel like you you know with Danny Briggs at the club and how well he's done, he's an exceptional bowler and and the. the the, op- the reality is you're not going to play two frontline spinners um, in championship cricket um, just because of the way it is. And, and that's something that's obviously a, people will say, oh, but he doesn't seem that interested in Red Bull cricket. But that's not the case. It's just more the reality of opportunities. And, and But I'm desperate to try and create some for myself. And then from a franchise perspective, you know, I've just got to keep performing and um, I'll, I'm sure I'll be going into that. And, and we just ne- you just never know that if I get picked up or not, but I'll definitely be trying to go in for it. It would obviously be a dream come true to play and play in the IPL. And it sort of feels, still feels quite a long way off that, but you just never know. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, trying, try my best to create those opportunities for myself. I, Mark Lawson, former leg spinner himself at Yorkshire, Kent and Derbyshire, I think it was uh, for Lawson. He, he, he was basically just asked the question you've just answered there about, are you looking to strengthen your white ball skills or develop into four-day stuff? Um, just just to um, kind of go back a, a step from that, how do you, as a youngster, become a, a left-arm leggy? What, what is it? That, I mean, do you, is it Shane Warne or somebody like that? It inspires you. But as a left-armer, he obviously is the mirror image. So where do you get to the stage where you pick up a ball? It's in your left hand and you decide to roll your wrist over the top. So it came from, I had a coach as I was when I was younger called, uh, Paul Lawrence and he works with he worked within the Somerset pathway and he I worked with him on a one-to-one basis from probably the age of nine all the way to about 16 once a week pretty much like all the way through so I was really lucky like but my parents and Paul were really supportive of me in that time and I started off as a left arm seamer but I just kept losing my wrist on the ball um, so I kept coming like yeah, like that. That was bowling yeah. like leg cutters. Um, so I couldn't get enough pace on the ball. Couldn't keep my wrist behind it. So essentially, we were just like, "Why don't we try it?" And I bowled one ball, and it sort of pitched foot outside off and rag past leg, and and that was sort of never really looked back from there. It's also like I'd encourage a lot more left arm 
finger spinners at a young age. Or I'd encourage a lot more coaches to start challenging um, kids who bowl left arm spin because I think it's an easy option. I think it's um, you're going to see wrist spin become more and more into the game. And I think if kids and coaches at a young age can be more aware of that and understand that, you know, the chances of making it as a professional, as a left arm finger spinner, you know, it's tough. It's a tough crowd. There's a lot of people that do it. Whereas if you're that bit different, which is definitely, you know, it stands in, in, in me in good stead. I mean, I think if I was even a right arm leg spinner, I'd probably wouldn't get talked about anywhere near as much as I do at the moment. So um, being that bit different and it's so, it's, you know, it's, there's nothing better than making a batsman look stupid and, and spinning <laughs> the other way. So um, yeah, I think it's extremely fun. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'd encourage a lot of kids to, to try it because if you bowl off spin or you bowl left arm finger spin, I think there's no harm in trying bowling leg spin because it is going to be a huge part of the game. We've already seen with Adil Rashid the other day. And, you know, I think the argument could be that England should probably have two wrist spins in their team, but you know, it's an exciting time for English cricket, really from a wrist spin perspective. And that's come from Morgan, really every white ball game, you know, he throws the ball to Rashid and and he he works his magic and you can see the value of a leg spinner in, in his side. I know Rash a bit, and I think I think Rash responds to a captain that actually shows his belief in him. Like you were saying about Pop, it's uh, about uh, dealing with a player and making him feel important, isn't it? And making him feel good. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you can see that with Morgs, he he's very um, you know he's he's very open about how important Rashid is, and even if he goes at eight, nine, and over, he knows that he's going to pick up wickets because he's a wrist spinner. So I think that's also an understanding captains need to understand. I've been really lucky played under, you know, Rhodes. He's been brilliant for me at Warwickshire. He's very supportive. You know, he'll give me the ball at key times. And and that's sort of a nice feeling considering I've not played a huge amount. And then Vincey is the same at the Southern Braves. So yeah, it's been nice. I think captaincy is quite hard of a spin. It's very easy to sort of take them off um, because they might leak a few runs, but yeah, they're going to get wickets, aren't they? So Stick with them. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. It's happened so quickly for you. Um, I mean, it sounds flippant to say that because it hasn't happened quickly. It's happened over a long period. But the, the last 12 months has happened very quickly for you in the step up. Do you still have dreams of playing for England, going going all the way and going, going up another level? Yeah, well, I, I, I remember um, we had a meeting in pre-season and this was when we first sort of met Mark Robinson. And he's very, he, <clears throat> Robbo's very good at um, bringing a group together. He's been brilliant at that and everyone sort of understanding their roles and, and being, you know, like I said, back in their ability because he gives them that gives you that belief. Um, and he said, I remember him saying openly in a, in a discussion, like if you're playing for this club, like you've got to want to play for England, you've got to, you know, you've got to want to take your game to the next level. You got to, you've got to want to achieve those things. Otherwise, there's no point being here. So, um, and that sort of hit home. Then I was like, yeah, why not? Like you just, even if I don't, I might as well try. Um, so yeah, it's obviously an ambition of mine. Um, still quite a way off yet, I think. But I feel like if I can keep continuing the way I'm going, then I feel like I can offer and offer something at that level and perform at that level. So, um, yeah, I have that belief, of course. I, I've read somewhere that you've been, um, you've worked quite closely with the coaches to try and work out your angles, your tra- tra- trajectory, if it's easy to say, and the speed, the speed you bowl at. 
and, and made it a bit of a classroom exercise, I guess, to go back to your your former career in really thinking about how you're going to tackle batsmen and how you're going to make them look stupid, like you just mentioned. Yeah, I'm pretty big on my analysis of opposition. I'll spend probably an hour, a couple of hours before each game on my own <clears throat> without coaches, just sort of having a look at footage and coming out of a bit of a plan myself. And then once I've got my plan, I'll I'll run through it with Pop or run through it with the analyst, etc., just to see what they think, speak to the captain, see if they've got anything they want to throw in there. And yeah, I think ultimately we're really lucky these days. We've got amazing access to so much footage, um, which even the county game probably didn't have three or four years ago. Um, the amount of footage that's there now is is so evident. So I'm really big on, you know, where the batters where the batters hit their boundaries, where the batters look to rotate strike, um, how do they get out? Um, and if I've got that pretty clear in my mind, I know which balls I can then look to bowl more often at them. Yeah, just like an example, like you look at Livingston's boundaries, they go they go through mid wickets. So my plan was always to him go try and go wide, googlies. Um obviously he got me a couple of times, but as long as you've got a nice clear plan, I think, you know, you've done all you can. It's then about just trying to execute it and that's where your skill level comes in. But yeah, I'm a big believer in analysis. Some players don't touch it, which is fine as well. That's that's their own thing. But I feel like there's a there's definitely a sort of five, ten percent to be gained there by just being a bit bit smart with that. Well prepared. It's all about being well prepared, isn't it? Um, I'm going to finish off with some uh, quick, quicker questions to you, um, some of the 20 questions. But what's the significance of number 23 on your back? Is there any? Because you, you seem to like that number. Yeah, I um, growing up, Triscothic wore it for England and he was obviously a Somerset legend. And then you've got, I, I remember David Beckham when he moved to Madrid was a bit of an idol of mine. So um, he wore 23 and then Shane Warne wore 23 as well. Uh, Michael Jordan. So it's been quite a, big number for me growing up a lot of those, a lot of those guys have been idols for me so yeah I've always wanted to wear 23 unfortunately the first season I played for Warwickshire they allocated me 25 without me even knowing and 23 was available so I was a bit gutted about that but um yeah it's all sorted now you had some success didn't you against Somerset down at Taunton did they let you back in yeah no they've been um yeah I think ultimately like I know Jason Kerr quite well at Somerset head coach and he's probably he's obviously just pleased for me that things have worked out you know he was my academy director at the time um, and he was the guy who said that I wasn't good enough so and like I said there's no qualms there I, I, I wasn't so um, it's yeah there's no hard feeling at all and it, it's nice to be able to go back there and put in performances like I did and yeah but they're just they've been you know happy for me because I'm a Somerset lad ultimately and they like to see Somerset lads do well they've got a pretty good record in producing players so they're just pleased for me I think. I'm going to let you jump in the skin of another current cricketer. You can live in their their body, have their skills and be them for 24 hours. Who would you pick? Oh, my word. Well, I'd definitely pick a batter because I love batting. I think I would probably go with A.B. de Villiers, I think. Good choice. I think if I could bat like him, I'd, um, I'd just love the way he goes about the game as well. So, yeah, him. If I was Amy de Villiers, I'd just basically just sit home at home and watch YouTube videos of myself all day long because he's just incredible, incredible. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for the day. What one thing would you change? What's your first job at the ICC? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I don't like the World Cup format. I think I like. I would like to see the associate teams get more of a more of a crack. I think they've tried to introduce them this time, but it felt like a little bit of a, you know a bit of a gimmick really. So I try and get more associate associate teams playing in the World Cup. And I think, yeah, you might have one-sided games, but what that does for those countries is huge. So yeah, I'd probably look to change that a little bit more. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, 
have an hour in the pub with them, who would it be? Warney, I think. I've never, I've never had a beer with Warney. Um, you'd so you'd need more than an hour, I think, by the sounds of it. Yeah, it's on, it's on the list. Hopefully, I managed to bump into him at some point. But yeah, I'd love to spend some time with him. They are going to make Linsock the movie. Who plays <laughs> you? Who plays me? Well, Ed Pollock often calls me Jason Statham, so we'll go with that one. <laughs> What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Have you been nervous going into the professional kind of? Re- yeah, you know, have, have you been kind of quaking in your boots as you've gone on the pitch or? Yeah, no, it's a big, it's a big part of the game. Trying to cope with pressure and nerves are natural. Um, so I've done quite a lot of work with sports psychs and and just trying to tap into that side of things. It's, you know, it's natural to feel nervous. So it's just trying to deal with that better. And um, I th- feel like I'm getting better at it the more and more I play. I'm still pretty inexperienced, really. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm working at that. I just think nerves show you care, don't they? As long as you can manage them properly, it shows you care about it. I think also, I think everyone gets nervous. I think they, some people can admit it, some people don't. Um, I think everyone has nerves, but I think it's how you deal with those that's key. And, and that in the past, maybe I haven't dealt with them sometimes as well as I could have. And, and yeah, it's just learning from those, really. This doesn't have to be a cricket answer, by the way. What is the top item on your bucket list? Um, bucket list. Well, in terms of, I, I love my travelling, so I'm, I haven't done a huge amount of travelling. So I'd love to go. I haven't been to South Africa. I haven't been to New Zealand. And they're two places that I'd love to go to. Uh, obviously, strong cricket background, but just more so just because I've heard amazing things about the country. So I like my travelling. I'd like to get away. And, and now I've got a bit more time on my hands. That That's a possibility as well. So, yeah, it's good. I've not been to New Zealand, but Cape Town and South Africa is well yeah. worth a visit. Yeah. You're probably too young to remember the Fonz in Happy Days, but he was a very, very cool individual with a leather jacket. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Ten being the Fonz, one being not very cool at all. I'm not very cool. Um, working at my gears at the moment, so now I'm probably a three or four, I'd say, on the cool cool scale. But who cares? <laughs> You're speaking to a one on the cool scale, so that's that's fine. I'm going to give you a time machine. It's just arrived outside. You can take it forwards or backwards in time. Where would you take it? Ooh. Yeah, I think not someone who likes to sort of live with regrets, but I'd love to wind it back, back, wind it back sort of five, six years and hopefully have another lockdown and, and get as fit as possible. Cause I feel like I was probably, uh, you know, that's probably all I was missing really at that point. So yeah, maybe, maybe do that. But then equally, I'm just as excited to wind forward and, and see where, you know, where I'm at in sort of five, six years time as well. If you could live anywhere in the world, you could have a second home. Where would you, where would you plonk it? Manly, Manly in Sydney literally the best place on earth um yeah love it beaches good coffee um uh, yeah amazing place um so yeah manly in in sydney if you could change one thing about yourself what would you change um one thing about myself uh well i'd probably love to have a full head of hair i reckon that'd be (laughs) that'd be yeah that'd be good i I tell you it's the hair that's the reason for your success so you yeah. Don't, don't knock it. Don't knock it. Yeah, what, what are you going to be doing in 10 years' time? Hopefully still playing cricket. Um, if not, coaching cricket. There is a question that's on this list that I ask uh, generally ask people about. Uh, if you were starting your career again today as a youngster, is there anything you'd do differently? I mean, that's a strange question to ask you as a, as a latecomer to the sport, but I don't think it is actually. Because if you go back sort of six or seven years, like you say, in that time machine, what would you do differently to try and make make advances earlier well i wouldn't do any so the my i've said in a lot of interviews literally everyone i do there's a massive problem with the 
the structure in terms of like we make decisions on players at 18 years old, which for me is just absolute crazy. Um, me as an example, like I was never good enough, 19, 20, 21, um, never good enough. But if I had been in a professional environment for those three years and counties could afford to, to invest in that player for three years, even if they're not good enough, then I would have been good enough at 21 rather than 24, if you get what I'm saying. So yes. I think I wouldn't have done anything differently, but I think the system needs to adapt. And, and hopefully with more money coming in, this is going to be something that, you know, squads might get up to 25, 26, 27, um, and we can invest in younger players a little bit more, which I think would be great. Um, and then I'd probably just make one change really in that I'd try and find a bit more time for myself to invest in in in, in myself, whether that be, you know, fitness side of things or, or healthier living. And, and I think that would have stood me in, in, you know, put me in a better place. Was that, I mean, you say you lost weight and you, you got fit and, and you made those changes. Do you think that was one thing that um, Pop and people at Warwickshire saw that, you know, this this lad means business here. Do you think that was part of the process? Oh, I think it's huge, yeah. I, I remember turning up and lads didn't really recognize me so yeah I think that sort of I think that's always been I've always been someone who's moved well or fielded quite well for a, for a biggish lad the only thing I think that stopped me for a couple of years prior to me signing for Warwickshire was the perception I think people's perception was that I was lazy or, or which is not the case at all I was just working you know flat out and, and didn't have much time to invest in myself and then when, as soon as I got that time you know you can see the difference and and you know, that's what's really exciting for me now is I've got a full winter. <clears throat> Hopefully some opportunities come up, but if not, I've got a full winter of just, you know, working as hard as I possibly can to get better on all fronts of my game. So, Final question, Jake, and thank you very much for being on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to meet you and have a chat with you today. Um, if you'd been me today and you'd been asking you the questions, is there one question you'd have asked yourself that I've not? No, you've been top draw. Um, <laughs> that's a cop out answer. That's a cop out. Um, that's we'll get you absolutely nowhere on this. Point what you, I don't know what you'd want to know. Um, no, I, I, I think you've covered. We've covered pretty much all bases, I reckon. So um, no, it's been awesome to to come on and chat to you, and obviously really appreciate how supportive you've been. And yeah, it's um, yeah, it's good to talk. And yeah, you've definitely I've answered a fair few questions. So you you've got a fair bit out of me. The flattery actually has got you everywhere. It's got to, got you to the end of the interview. It has been a pleasure meeting you today. Wish you every success as you go into 2022 and beyond. And uh, congratulations on what's been a, a terrific 12 months for you. Uh, thank you for coming on the Cricket Badger podcast today. Cheers. Thanks very much. And uh, obviously, plenty more guests coming up on the Cricket Badger podcast. So stay tuned. Um, subscribe on YouTube um, at Cricket underscore Badger on Twitter. I've been James of Cricket Badger, and I'll see you again very soon indeed. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.